Hi everyone, welcome to Commissioner Wilson's Virtual Office Hours! Woo! We're back on the couch, I can't believe it, it's been a while. You know what, I actually, I think I'm going to take this couch home, it's a very comfortable <laughs> couch. It has been a good couch to us, even if there's a couple days that go by without us being able to, to touch base. We've had so much going on in the community and, you know, I think last week I had to do like a speed round catch up office hours in there with us. Yeah, actually, something we didn't put on our notes, you went to the Gotha community meeting that day. That's right. Yeah, we were actually out in Winter Garden because we had more than one thing on that side of town. And so mm -hmm. did the quick update office hours and then headed off to Gotha. Once again, District 1, um, standing room only community meetings. And this was actually about a rezoning for a business that had been in place for many, 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 many years. Um, somehow, at some point along the way, um, the county either permitted them to do it or it just you know slid by but the effort right now is to make sure that they're in compliance and so to get them into compliance may alter the way that that land is um, is regarded and so right now it's actually zoned for agriculture and this was a commercial use and so there's a lot of concern about opening up a portion of the rural settlement to um, a commercial use. Mm -hmm. So really what, what I think it all came down to was finding a way, and we're working on that right now, to make sure that the use was is just for this particular business, right? This right. is a dance studio and a karate studio, and the community has really relied on having them there. The fear is, well, if we permit that, change the whole use, what's going to stop someone com from coming in and making it a more sort of invasive or intrusive commercial use? But mm -hmm. Everybody seemed to agree that the dance studio should stay. So we're going to really work hard to figure out how to make that work. So um, I always forget to introduce myself. So I'm Sorry. Lee Perry. I'm the senior aide of Commissioner Wilson's office. And I answer the district one at OCFL.net email address. You can drop questions in the chat here. And Drew, who's working with the camera, what, what? He's going to be taking the meetings that he records, like the Gotha community meeting, and putting it on the YouTube. So we will drop the link in the YouTube in the chat. Um, tonight, you're going to be boogieing out of here pretty soon to go to the Elysian PD community meeting out in Horizon West. Yes, yeah, so this is um, it's the Waterley community. I know that you all are amazing and have been so um, involved and engaged along the way in the developments that are really popping up around the neighborhood there. Uh, we obviously inherited, you all did, I did, the Horizon West Development Code, which included apartment areas, but they weren't zoned apartment. It was on a future land use map in the comprehensive plan, but not zoned that way. Mm -hmm. um, I think last month or the month before, I don't know, it all runs together sometimes. Uh, the rezoning came to the Board of County Commissioners, and I met with residents, I met with the applicant, the residents were very clear about saying, we don't mind that there's something coming, we would just ask that it fit in. We would like to see if, if there could be a transition from single family to townhome to apartment, and that we get a little buffer, leave some of the trees that are there, there's some trees on the property right now. And they asked for you know some architectural um, alignment so that the architecture of the development matched theirs. The developer of this particular project really just didn't want to budge on anything. I don't even know why he bothered having a community meeting in the mm -hmm. first place mm -hmm. before the rezoning because he didn't listen to a single recommendation. He didn't budge from a single recommendation mm -hmm. that the residents asked for, that I asked for, and in fact, um, at some point I you know, really felt like within our comprehensive plan, I had the opportunity to um, get conditions of approval and at that point, 
I was overruled by the rest of the board. So tonight we get a little bit closer into the development and so there's gonna be more information about development as it goes forward. I'm gonna to continue to advocate for what residents want there, but my, um, I'm also gonna to try to keep my expectations in check, knowing that this particular applicant and this developer, they don't seem to regard what the residents want in that area. I think if you have the opportunity to talk to anybody else on the Board of County Commissioners, the mayor, everybody that weighed in that day, they should come to these meetings because they ruled, mm -hmm. they overruled me after having you know, I got engaged, I was out with the community, I listened to people, and then at the end of the day, there was no deference to what we felt like would be a good fit for District 1, which tells you that, you know, it's wonderful when you engage with me, and I'm going to ask for that every single time, but it's not enough. It has to be the entire board because I'm only one vote. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we really would love for you to continue to engage with this office. You can sign up for the newsletter at NicoleWilson.org. And if you see things coming up that you want to give input, we listen. Yes. Commissioner Wilson makes a point <laughs> to hear you out. And I kind of make a stink to try to get your, your point across. And I mean that in a way that I try to make sure that if there's an opportunity at any level of that development plan, that we're being very clear and expressing those needs. I think when especially the community is pointing out safety issues and health issues, things like, hey, you know, this might be an obstructed walkway. This could be an area that if we, you know, take this out, that this is going to flood. Those are the things that if we don't listen to them, we're going to pay for it later. Um, so it's really frustrating for me when I, you know, come up against the resistance from a, a developer that doesn't live there, isn't ever going to live there, just wants to make the money and run. Right. Um, and, I, and I wish there was a way for the district commissioner who does attend all these meetings to have a little more leverage, a little more deference in the opinion that comes forward. But uh, we're not there yet. We're going to keep pushing for that. And I'll try to be diplomatic in my uh, approach to all developments in, in trying to negotiate what I think is best for our community. Right. Awesome. Well, you know, you just had a Board of County Commission meeting this past week, and um, it's always fun to <laughs> dive into the agenda and, um, you know, give updates to the community afterwards. So um, you were able to sit through a conversation about mental health, which is one of the most important conversations that we need to have in this country right now. Um, United Way did a mental health assessment and I think that this was the second time it's been brought back to the board to talk about updates and, yeah. and planning. Yeah, so. and I, you know, one of the items that was really some more funding for treatment was pulled from the consent agenda and in, this is a reminder now that we're talking about it, put it on my, put it on my calendar to ask next week what happened because, okay. um, yes, the county actually invested a particular amount of money to do a, a GAPS analysis we are so fortunate here at this county, and I, you know me, I'm very critical of the things I don't think that we're doing well or that we could do better. Right. But I also want to point out the times that I feel like we are really doing above and beyond or that we are, um, that we are trying to hone in on what is overall a need. The state of Florida mm -hmm. has put funding of mental health care and health care in general very low on a priority list. If, yeah, are if, we like the 49th yes, or something? Yes, like yes. we're like in the, yes. the bottom five yes. Yes. states. Yes. Now, I, I want to point out that after a horrible, horrible tragedy, like one that this country went through again this week, um, you know, so soon after the tragedy in Buffalo, so, you know, here, right down the street from somewhere that we 
were under attack for um, for having an inclusive community, that it's really important that if we say mental health issues matter, that we then follow that up, right? Like I am, I am so sick and tired of the single post meme. Mm -hmm. I want to see people put their money where their mouth is, right? right? We have been smacked down at the local level again and again and again for doing anything in gun safety or in magazine ammunition sales and the safety of those type of things. So we can't, like legally without getting dragged off, push any big reforms through. But what we can do is try really hard to get mental health wraparound services, find out where are the big needs are mm -hmm. in mental health treatment. And, I, and I'm saying that not just on the side of people who have um, sort of traditional mental health issues, but I'm saying that on the side of the people who are currently incarcerated that may be a chronically mentally ill person that has never really been seen for anything other than that. All of those services in a huge spectrum, they require different types of treatment and different types of investments. Well, mm -hmm. the GAPS analysis that was done actually identified very specifically where we can step in and do things. And so making sure that we don't put that on a shelf and forget about it is, is going to be a goal over the rest of my term here. And trying to remind everybody that you can't blame everything on mental health and then turn around and not get involved and speak up about the funding of good mental health services. Mm -hmm. You can't say, you can't blame our, our society's ills on mental health and not say that it's worth really putting our money where our mouth is and finding good wraparound services, trying to find the people who aren't seeking help because that's where we need it, getting into our, our schools, our any, any type of our educational systems where we have an opportunity to raise the, the issue because unfortunately the people who need it the most won't seek it and the people who are suffering the most don't seek it. So yes, this week we, we got to talk about it on the agenda and then the next day um, there was a luncheon that actually was honoring some of the people who have really done the heaviest lifting in this community mm -hmm. in mental health. Mm -hmm. And Donna Weish, who is, you know, somebody who this is, yeah, this has been her life's work. And some of the things that we've done in Orange County to divert people who law enforcement interacts with that could really, based on the law and what was happening at the scene, take them straight over to you know corrections instead said let's get you over to central receiving let's figure out what's going on are you off your medication was there some psychosocial stressors and they add a, a, a level of intervention mm -hmm. and you know what's happened over the last few years since donna really started doing this is that we have our population our incarcerated population starts going down right so the proof is there the proof is there that it works but we've got to keep looking at those opportunities. Um, we've done a, a small investment that I think needs to be ramped up on having mental health professionals trained as you know crossover with our, our first responders so they can be on the scene when there's a medical emergency because there's usually also something going on in uh, mental health and when then there's law enforcement called in. Domestic violence, mental health issues, these are things that you don't get to make an appointment when the you know, law enforcement's called in. But having a clinician on site can be life-saving. So, you know, um, Chief Alone, who is actually retiring soon, has done a lot of work in trying to make sure that mental health has been part of the conversation in the Orlando Police Department. Sheriff Mina and the team at the, at the Orange County Sheriff's Department have tried really hard to do the cross-training and bring in some clinicians 
in, in their organization. And once again, there's a lot of work left to do. But we are, I think we're on the right track. And, and hearing the, some of the stories of the times where it made a difference um, tells us we need to keep going down that path. We need to not let up. I mean, that's that's the crisis level. I mean, I'll tell you just from my journey, like, man, good therapists are either hard to find, they're either super strapped and they can't take any more appointments. Um, they, some of them have been just totally unprofessional. Um, I've had, I've even signed up at one of the schools that I went to, I signed up for uh, free therapy and uh, I put that I was considering suicide on my application, never got a call, oh. never got follow up. You know, there were, there's so many gaps in just like the yeah. everyday person who's struggling with their mental health to find someone, even to this day, I've been calling around looking for therapists and everyone's booked, you know, so it's, it's yeah. crisis level at every level. It is. And I think when we look at that supply and demand, the demand is higher right now than our supply, right? So we have a, you know, we have a certain number of professionals that are being pulled very thin or are, you know, mm -hmm. ineffective because of their, the, the structure which in the, which they're working in. And I think that that's where we have some opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's where I think the county really has some opportunity. Our health services department, I think, mm -hmm. has some really brilliant people working there to try to find in our, in our uh, children, family services to find those opportunities. And, you know, this week, the um, uh, mental health association luncheon, it felt like a very collaborative um, gathering because you realize that this is the school system. Mm -hmm. This is our healthcare system. So we had our hospitals, our right. schools, we had law enforcement, mm -hmm. we had the government, we had our, you know, educational post-secondary, UCF, Valencia, Rollins, mm -hmm. because we, everybody at each of those places has got to be in on mm -hmm. this conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was interesting because they had, it was a, it was an event, which they, I think they tried to make sure that they were providing something that was interesting or not necessarily just the same, you know, topics that go right. into an agenda. And they had a, a guest speaker come in and it was actually an actress that, that is in, um, the show, I guess it, I never watched it, but I've heard really well done called This Is Us. And the way she described it was that the show um, was the you know mental health trials and tribulations of everyone's family. If you were to able to condense that into a television series and make it something relatable and understandable and entertaining. And so obviously it's not perfectly accurate, but it was relatable. And that every one of the characters she said felt to her like people that you could relate to, a family member that may have dealt with anxiety or, or depression or had mm -hmm suicidal ideations but maybe wouldn't share it to the right person at the time or you know somebody who was dealing with you know wanting to stay on a medication that they knew stabilized them but made them feel a little less creative and those types of things that are the ongoing balance mental health issues are so different than some of the physical things where you can run an x-ray and see the break you don't get to see the break on the outside and some people look so put together and like everything is going well and you know check on those people because usually your strongest friends your strongest colleagues are the ones that are hurting the most mm -hmm. and they just don't show it because that's their defense mm -hmm. is that strength mm -hmm. and it's it, you know we're all just humans right well you know we also have to talk about addiction because growing yeah. up you know I remember feeling so odd that we just looked at people who were homeless and people who were battling with addiction as like the others. Yeah. And 
being from a family that we battled with homelessness and my mother was an addict, she always made it seem like we had to humanize those people in order to help those people. So being in the trenches with them, making sure that they get, they're getting food, getting their medication, connecting to resources and just holding their hand, literally yeah. looking them in the eye and making them feel like a human being could help bring their spirits to a point where they would feel strong enough to apply for those resources or to take advantage of the opportunities in front of them. Because when you're down in the trenches mentally, you cannot pull yourself out of it alone. Yeah, It's very hard. I applaud anyone who has, but man, if you don't have your safety net, it's, it becomes a very dark place. Yeah. And so I so think when it comes to addiction, it. you know, we, all of us have the responsibility of looking at an addict and not shaming them with our stares and making them feel that right. this is an inclusive place for them. And it's okay to say it's not okay. Right. It's, you know, that I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I need help. Destigmatizing it, talking about a family member, you know, we had the BCC was a very touching moment. We, you know, sometimes it's so contentious in that room mm -hmm. because it's policy making, which everyone has very strong positions and we have very strong leadership here and people mm -hmm. in our community. But we had a, an update from um, our, our drug-free office, the, you know, part of our health services that talked about the opioid crisis, which is ongoing even though we've shut down the pill mills, even though we have figured out which, um, pharmacies were allowing you know bulk sales to the pill mills and we're getting we're actually getting funds now from a settlement because they basically agreed that they were culpable that they that they were part of the problem at the end of that though they've created these addictions said whoops sorry I know we made some money on that we're sorry we're gonna give back some money but they're giving the money back to you know, governments or treatment centers are not giving it to the people who are addicted. And the people who are addicted, by the way, are still addicted, if they're alive. And so the update was really terrifying because what it showed in our statistics and the data was that as the opioid crisis had, you know, increased like this, when they started figuring out the prescribing habits, the pill mills, and they tr tapped down on that, the opioid part of it in deaths mm -hmm. went down and the fentanyl went up. And so we're looking at right now people who are severely addicted to opioids but, but willing to buy whatever they can find because their pill mill is shut down. They're, they're, we have an ability now, our database shows if someone's jumping from doctor to doctor. And, you know, we had to do that, right? We did not want to continue to create this addiction. But then what did we, we really drop the ball right. in trying to get the treatment on the other end? And so scariest thing to hear this fentanyl is killing people you know one pill one pill can do it and to hear that sometimes it's a a student who is has heard that if they take some Adderall that'll keep them awake and so they they go out and they find some Adderall from someone on the street they think it's counterfeit and they cut it with fentanyl and one pill later this is someone who just wanted to get through finals and they're dead you know, or, or somebody who's going to a concert that night and they're like, well, I'm not putting anything in my veins. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, doing something yeah, on a stove top. It's, it's like totally like normalized on media and of it, just like taking, taking pills, a pill. you know, it's and like, Ooh, I'm having fun. pill with, with a dose of fentanyl, the way that right now it's being cut, it's killing people. It's right. killing people. And it's a one and done. And it's such a tragedy to meet the families and the friends. 
So the part of the, the meeting that was so touching and, and was that the mayor talked about losing someone and, you know, I lost a first cousin and like there was a moment where you realize that this isn't, this is, there is no degree of separation, that we all have been there, that I know more people in my class that have died from overdoses than cancer and car wrecks and all of it combined mm -hmm. and how terrifying that is. It's really frustrating too because, you know, like I, like I was saying, there's a stigma there that we have to remove. But there's, there's very few resources, you know, like to get a drop-in center, to, to have that free counseling, you know, and then on top of that, the conversation at large across the entire, our, our culture is, is very hard on addicts. And it's very hard on, on just people like, let's take that student that took a pill, let's say, because they wanted Adderall to get through school. Why are we not talking about the stress that we're putting on our children to get through school to the point where they would feel like they have to turn by a pill on the street they to get through finals? Right? You know, it's all connected on how we yeah. talk about self care and how we talk about like our true priorities in this country is not to be a product, to push paper, right. to work 70 hours a week, to make sure you pass your extremely competitive finals so that you can get into your dream school so you can just right. work, 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 work. And if you don't make it in that flow, right? Making it means stay off of the streets right. and you know stay out of a rehabilitation center. If you don't make it in that rat race of life, then we just look at you like, we just let you die on the street and let you stay an addict and we are not trying to pull dollars to make sure that we save you and rehabilitate you so that you can have better quality of life. Yeah. You know, and, I mean, and there's a lot of data now that there are things that really do work that we have, we have paths for people to take to, to make sure that they are okay. Mm -hmm. We just have to get those pieces connected. And so, mm -hmm. needless to say, being at that um, mental health association um, luncheon was, it was really uplifting in ways but also really depressing in ways because you realize we have a long way to go and we have a lot of talking to do about it we we will share some information from that organization it was really really i i felt like inspirational to hear how many people who were there that day got there because of some interaction they had in a crisis or with a family member friend colleague in a crisis mm -hmm. and that that brought them to the mental health association and now they are continuing to either volunteer there. They only have like nine people on their staff and everyone else is either volunteer or, um, or some kind of a, a connected party. And so, you know, it, mm -hmm. and that's what it takes. It takes crossing over all those lines. I just want to say one other point about addiction since it, it's kind of like a through line in my entire family. Everyone in my family has either come from addicts or has been an addict at some point. Um, it's so different. Like if you go a day without drinking coffee and you have an extreme headache, right? It alters your mood. It alters how you behave and how you perform. When you are addicted chemically to something like an opioid, yeah. like a pill, yeah. it makes you a monster without you ever wanting to intend to be a monster. Sure. You know, I have friends that literally were getting straight A's, full ride scholarships, got into a car accident and hurt their leg. Yeah got addicted to opioids and then started stealing from their boyfriend, their boyfriend's parents, their boyfriend's uh, brother, their moms, their godmothers, people that they would never harm in a million years, but they were yeah. so past the point of addicted that they, their entire character changed over the course of one year. Yeah. 
That's exactly, it's, I mean, it's a perfect, perfect description. I lost a boss. I mean, he's, he's gone now, but he, you know, it, you're talking about somebody who had a doctorate and got, had migraines, got addicted to a pain medicine that somebody started him on that was opioid based. Like, and, it, and, you know, there was this cycle of having, um, arrests because he was stealing, uh, pharmacy pads and, and forger, forger. And this was somebody who was a successful, brilliant man and just couldn't, it, didn't have the time the, between the time they got addicted and died mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the intervention wasn't there mm -hmm. and the intervention it's almost like because he was successful and because he was brilliant people i think kept thinking he'll lift he's himself fine. out of it yeah he'll be fine he'll lift himself out of it he's certainly going to be able to and and he's no longer here you know and this right. was this was the beginning not beginning but this was sort of before we understood as much as we do now about how addictive the opioids are mm -hmm. and what they're doing to people even after you know a very short time of being on them through a prescription through a legitimate mm -hmm. injury it's just different when you go to europe i lived in italy for two years and the family the people there make your health their priority whereas here it feels very much like you have to carry your weight of your own grief or pain and it's almost like american it's a stoicism. Like patriotic american stoicism to be like i'm fine the grit right you're like <laughs> they actually there was actually a really good commercial that was d talking about i think um self-help or what, what was it um it was for therapy for therapy it was for therapy um exactly where this like this like hard guy who's in the he, he looks like a farmer and he's walking and he's like I'm fine but he's got an obvious broken leg and someone's like no I can I can help you he's like I'm carrying this I'm gonna I got gonna it carry I'll it. Shake it I off. got it and he's like but I, I could help you and then he just takes it out of his hands and helps the guy and it's like a therapy ad yeah because I mean, that's, that's literally a, you got to think of it that way you got to think of it like asthma or diabetes or anything mm -hmm. else that you wouldn't ignore. If you were having a hard time breathing, you wouldn't ignore right. it, right? So if you haven't, if you haven't stopped crying for a couple of weeks, right. you maybe shouldn't ignore it, right? right. Like it was an ad for better help. That was the, oh yeah. yeah, it was an ad for better help. So, so, uh, conversations will continue. Yeah, and I'm we'll sure... out the information. Like I said, I, I, I continue to try to make sure that we're, um, amassing our set of, of information about community partners and places that you can get help. I know it's, um, it's easy to say, hey, don't stigmatize it, get out there, but without the right information, it's it's just words. So we'll share that. And um, Oh, yeah, and the Narcan. Yeah, the Narcan, so part of the conversation was making sure that Narcan's available everywhere all the time because it does save lives. And, and for people who think that that investment is wasted on people who are a drug addicted, I think that, you know, if you needed an inhaler because you had asthma, that, you know, we would provide that. It just seems, you know, if you know something can save a life, that you're going to provide that. So, so the um, the new really, I think, position about Narcan is to make sure everybody has it. It's everywhere in the county buildings. We at each AED machine, there's uh, a dose of Narcan, and the cross training is is really being very widespread. Mm -hmm. um, if you have questions about that for your organization or you want some information about how to get some Narcan on hand, we're really trying to help get that information out. Um, there's some restrictions as far as our ability to, I guess, administer it, but we have partners, community partners, that we're able to link. Awesome, awesome. Um, you also had on the Horizon West 
excuse me, code update. That was something that came up at the board. Yeah, Horizon West, and I know for my friends that live there, you know this, it's a special sector plan that was mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, written and incepted in you know the 90s, I think late 80s, early 90s, and there are pieces and parts of it that are um, really a mismatch to the overall plan, and some of them needed to be brought up to speed. Additionally, the county is working on Vision 2050, which is an update to our entire comprehensive plan. So looking at Vision 2050 and then looking at the Horizon West sector plan, mm -hmm. our planning department is trying to get some of the things that needed to be stricken, cleaned up, and up to date with the what's going to probably be the ultimately our Vision 2050 plan. The things I like about it is we have more photo depictions, we have more things that are going to have illustrations because I think a comprehensive plan, although technical because it has to do with our, our planning and development, it should be understandable by the people who live in a community and you know hopefully want to just you know out of curiosity find out what part of the comprehensive plan is. So anytime they put, put a photo depiction or a graphic in, I, I applaud that. There are parts of it that I still feel like really need work. Um, but there were some things that, that made a lot of sense in Horizon West that I'm hoping are also carried through um, to the rest of the, the county, including um, connectedness and making sure that we have multi-use paths. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a requirement only in Horizon West. Right. And so you'll see in other parts of the county just, you know, little narrow strips of, of sidewalk. And so those things you know, where we can continue to add to that pedestrian and bike safety, mm -hmm. we're going to do it. I asked point blank if we could um, make sure that we're not doing the mass grading and mass grubbing and, you know, just like the last three times I've asked, everyone kind of looks at everyone else like, that's not us, that's the, you know, make the decision at DRC and that they make that, that's a pre-engineering, whatever. I'm going to keep asking about it because I think that in right now, the language in the Horizon West sector plan and what will be in the updated code continues to identify the special characteristics of the the soil in that area. It's a sandy soil. Um, it, it does a really great job of filtering water, um, and it does a really good job. The topography of it actually has some really great things for the way things grow. And so anytime we can protect that, you know, the, the actual topography the way it is, we really should. I know that if you're building a hospital, you should have to level it off. I understand right. that. But if you're building a neighborhood, there's no reason why it can't be rolling along with the way that it God made it. And I think that we're just going to need to continue to say it doesn't matter if it's cheaper to do it that way. We need to do it the right way so that we're not affecting the way water drains and roots are able to make, you know, make a home. Because if you pull that soil out, it really changes every everything from then on out. Right. Um, well, we'll definitely continue to keep you updated on that. And I'm sure that, you know, as Horizon West is growing and shaping, you know, there'll be some other things that come up. So please join NicoleWilson.org and go to the bottom so that you can sign up for the newsletter. Um, another thing that you got a lot of interest in was the boat safety ordinance. Oh, this is for Bird Island, Egret Island. So this is part one. And um, so it, it does sound like it's um, for all districts. And I even think that was on a slide and, and mm -hmm. was a little bit confusing for the mayor. But the this particular part of the ordinance update was specifically for Egret Island or Bird Island, which is um, a, a, a preserve that was donated by the Chase family, or at the time Chase, I think Groves, mm. um, to the Audubon Society, um, dedicated with a um, very specific restricted protective covenants 
to prevent any structure from going on the island. And that includes, you know, I think there was some crazy talk about, oh, we should just put a fence around it if you don't want people trespassing, but we shouldn't close off the area to boats. Um, but you can't put a fence on it. You can't put a, you know, you can put a sign that's permitted, but any kind of a structure that would put, you know, cement down into the ground, which a fence would, is prohibited by law. And it is owned 100% in its entirety. And I do have the title if anybody wants to see it, because I know this was kind of one of those things that was um, debated online. Mm -hmm. um, it, it belongs to the Audubon Society. Their engagement with the state is because when a conservation dedication happens, the state's involved. Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission is involved. And um, in particular, Bird Island has even more agencies involved because there is the um, navigation board, which actually will pay for the improvements. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my point during the ordinance update about creating a swim zone where the boats can't get to the, you know, right up to beach on the island is that for safety reasons, they've never been able to really prevent swimmers from propellers. And so, you know, people were just beaching right up on, on the island, setting up tents and canopies and, and you know, floating coolers and, and really cramming in there. And swimmers and propellers just don't mix. You, you, it's deadly. There have been some really tragic accidents out there. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing there haven't been more. And it continued, the intensity of use continues to go up. I am not under any kind of illusion that this is going to be the end of the problems and that mm. this is somehow going to fix everything. But if we don't do something, I think we're negligent. Right. I think not doing something to prevent that. I was really, really disappointed. I thought that the conversations on, you know, this isn't the best idea, but how about this, were great because I loved all the things that were coming forward. People were like, what about a no-wake zone? I think that's a great idea. We should do it. We're working on it. Um, I think we should make sure there's no open container if you're out of your your boat, like, you know, an alcohol, we're going to work on that. I think there's a you know, noise issue, a noise ordinance update. We're working on that. Those were all really great ideas. And so all of those are coming down the line as continued efforts. I was really disappointed when there was an opposition that said that this ordinance was discriminatory and that it was um, going to prevent people who were handicapped or who had developmental issues from being able to enjoy the lake. It was absolutely a, such a, um, uh, for me, a, a strange attack, knowing that actually preventing those swimmers from being near propellers could be life-saving. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, if you have somebody in your family that wants to be in, in the lake right now, unless you live on the lake or you belong to the sportsman's club or one of the clubs that are on the lake, there, is, there isn't a dedicated swim zone. This will be the first dedicated swim zone where you won't have to worry about a propeller. Right. And so, you know, I think it's the exact opposite. And where they actually drew the line for the, the swim zone and the boat exclusion is somewhere between three and four feet in depth. And there's nothing that prohibits you from coming out and, you know, stopping your boat outside the line, using your raft to be inside the line, swimming in there, you know, recreating. I would say the biggest issue we've had as far as our safety have been people who were irresponsible with their boats and with their jet skis. That's probably going to continue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we can't enforce much without enough ability to see what's going on when people are really butted up really close to the island. And that, that had been a concern to law enforcement. The city of Windermere has really wrestled with ways that they could try to keep people safe. Right. And so hopefully this is one, one step in the right direction. 
I mean, hearing some of the stories, I'm actually really surprised more hasn't happened either, you know, because just hearing that story of how the boats are kind of close together. Let's say a kid is just looking for shells or something in, in between boats, and then a yeah. huge wave comes. It could literally impact a child that could then go unconscious and fall in the That's water, right. and no one might not even see. That's right. Because and there's no supervision because it's a and it's not a public. It's not a public beach, right? The island is a like it is literally a uh, set aside for for bird nesting. <laughs> Which the birds don't do anymore because there's so much human human interaction. Right. But there's not a, there's no there's no lifeguard. There's no patrol. There shouldn't be. It's not. It, it's it not is, designed for it's people. It's not public. It's that's right. It's designed for birds. It's not public. Which they even said the population of the migratory birds has gone down yeah. drastically because of all of this human noise. People are defecating on the. Oh, it's such a mess. Like, and we you know we get to interact. And I know people in the community that have their. Um, Boy Scout troops, Girl Scout troops, volunteers that go out to clean up, because on any given you know weekend it is you know a gigantic party scene with whatever is left behind. And so, knowing that we have had injured wildlife and injured people, because if you come back, a piece of glass will injure a person just like a little bird. Um, they go out and try to help clean it up, and that's a burden, and that's not it's not fair. And and ultimately. It's trespassing. The second you set foot on the island, you're trespassing. It's not public. The waters, the waterways are sovereign, right? That's state. And so you have every right to be in the water, but you don't have a safe place to swim in the water right now that's marked off from a boat. And that's what this is providing. So, you know, just try to make sure that you're keeping in mind that this is a, it's a swim zone. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. And they have them everywhere. If you go down to John Penny Camp, some of those places in the Keys, where they don't want boats getting near the coral reefs, you actually click your boat in. So you can't anchor, because anchoring will damage the environment. Mm -hmm. You click your boat in and you can get your snorkel and you can swim around and you come back to your boat. They don't want you beach it. They don't want you beach it on a coral reef. They don't want you beach it in a lot of the beautiful um, state parks and national parks. So it, you know, I think we're just gonna try to continue to say we're modeling the other places that are, are off limits for propellers and for dangerous um, boating. Awesome. Um, the last update was regarding the OCPS ad valorem millage rate. Yeah, so um, Orange County Public Schools, really important thing that they have done for a long time. So this is really just a renewal. This isn't going to change your bill. Um, they have a mill. It's a, a portion of your, um, of your property tax that's dedicated to operations. What does that mean? Teachers. Our teachers are worth it. Our teachers are worth it. So we don't get this confused with the... Um, half penny or penny um, that goes into facilities. Don't get this confused with the transportation. This is very specifically um, the same piece of, of legislation that OCPS has used. I think, it's, I think this is the fourth time that they're renewing it, and, but it goes on the ballot in August. In order for them to ballot that in August, we have to approve it. And I was really concerned back when we were talking about the transportation sales tax that there would be some confusion at the polls and that OCPS and our teachers would end up um, in a worse position because of our transportation initiatives. So hearing that we're going to be able to separate this, that it's going to go on the August ballot, that there's not going to be anything on that November ballot that might be yeah, confusing. confusing. We just don't want to like, confuse people. Right. And that this isn't going to add anything more. This just renews it because it, it has a sunset. It's just part of the, um, the structure of that particular funding. 
once again, over the years, our teachers, our paraprofessionals, our, our staff at schools, top to bottom, have had less and less and less state funding. And so as that happens, the local part of it is required to go up. And this is actually part of the legislation. If you want to know who the absolute most damaging governor was ever in this regard, it was Rick Scott. And when we watched that funding gap and the pushback that came to you as a landowner, it happened under Rick Scott's tenure, but we continue as a local entity to have to increase the amount that we put in to pay our teachers and our staff here. And it's worth it. It's worth it. And even if you don't have kids, you have to know that your property value, that your overall community value is always improved by having the top teachers and retaining teachers. And listen, the reality is our, our homes are costing more. Everything costs more. Mm -hmm. We have got to increase the salaries of our first responders, of our teachers, of our you know essential workers, because we're not going to have anything if we don't have our schools and our fire departments and our and our police officers. You know that's that's it right there. Right. So I, I hope that if people have questions about that um, August ballot language, please reach out. I'm really glad I'm on the canvassing board, so I'm, I'm going to get to see that ballot language the second that it goes into print. But it should all look very. Um, it's, I think, word for word what it has been. They, we suggested that if they can to bold the language, um, that it's a renewal so that nobody feels like it's an additional penalty because, you know, right now people are hurting. And one of the things that I heard again and again during the transportation conversation was the time's not right to do this. And so this is not new. This isn't an additional tax. This is a renewal. Right. I just have to say, I don't have children, but I want teachers to be paid well because those are jobs in our community that's boosting the economy, that's people who are going to be able to afford a better quality of life and spend money here in the local community, and they work so hard. They work so hard. They work so hard. It's the most important hard. job in the world. We love our teachers. You know, and in fact, like, I, I've been considering adopting, you know, a child, and I'm terrified of the school systems right now. I'm just terrified. Don't of, be. I'm so scared, I love my you know. I, so much. I, well, I'm scared because a lot of the teachers that I know are leaving because yeah. they're so exhausted and they can't make ends meet. They're some of them are making more doing like tutoring and and other things. Yeah. And I just I'm just scared for the future of our kids. We have to fight for that live, living wage to retain good teachers that do care. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think there's been a lot of knowledge recently that um, entry level salary seems to be sort of the state platform for politicians mm -hmm. but it, we the, our entry level is pretty much on par it's our retention and where if you've been a teacher in ocps for 10 or 12 years and you're you're not making you know more than you would have if you were coming right out of college that's a problem mm -hmm. that's a huge problem and you know in any structure business entity of any kind we need to be able to figure out how to reward and benefit the people who are working the hardest and that have been there the longest. Right. Because that's how you get your institutional knowledge and that's how you make sure that you have mentors for the incoming, the newest teachers. Mm -hmm. And so until we really understand better how we can retain that talent and keep those teachers in their classrooms, getting the next generation of teachers up to speed, we're gonna have you know major gaps in, in I think that education realm. And there's nothing more important than our kids and taking, care of their minds and their education and making sure that they are whole contributing members of our society. And talk about mental health, right? Like teachers are one of those like gateway opportunities to have a child actually speak up 
when they feel, you know, discriminated against or bullied or unheard. Sometimes parents are not the easiest to approach, whether they're the greatest parents in the world or not. It's sometimes it takes a teacher yeah. who sits with them most of the day. Think to about feel the people you've trusted in your life. Right? Lots you, of teachers. If, that's right. Like if I in my head think about the people in my life that when I had a question that I had no clue about who to ask, mm -hmm. it was usually a trusted teacher. Right. And I think that that to me, you know, if if we can get anything right in the next few years, it's making sure that the teachers who we know, we've gotten them certified, they're required to jump through all these suits, and let's let them teach. Stop telling them that they can't teach out of a math book that includes some statistics about socioeconomic status because it's too woke. Stop telling them that they can't advise or talk to a child who has questions. I mean, I just feel like we are um, undermining the, the most amazing professionals when we do that, and, and they deserve more. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our teachers are, I, I'm a, an attorney by education, my husband's a physician, and I have a daughter that's been going into education, and, and people are like, oh, I'm surprised she didn't want to go to be a lawyer or a doctor, and I'm like, we wouldn't have lawyers or doctors without teachers. Right. It is the most fundamental right. of, the, of the professions. It's the most learned of the professions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we love you, teachers. Any last words for the day before we move on to the Elysium meeting tonight? Yeah, no, I'm going to scramble out of here in a few minutes and I'll see people out there. If you have any uh, questions about anything that we talked about, there's so much that we probably didn't get to. There was so much on last agenda and the agenda before that. So if there's something you want to hear us talk about coming up, just let us know. Um, we'd be glad to, to you know make sure that we add it to the list. We just want to try to hit the high notes and let you know that it's been busy, but that we're always really excited about talking to you and that if you are you know have any interest in any of it that we can continue the conversation happy thursday we'll see you next week bye